Hi again, PJ again. Another quick PSA for the episode. First of all, this is part two. If you haven't listened to part one, please go back. Otherwise, you won't get the introduction to our wonderful cast of whom are a part of this episode. Also, the content on this episode. Here, here's another warning. Another warning. Get away if you're not mature. Okay. Okay. More not safe for work language in the show, including discussions of even more fairy sex, moist fluid, Crossland reading some evocative fiction, and milking minotaurs. The only big spoilers to be concerned about are that of the Akatar series through a court of silver flames. But even then, it's mostly minor. Enjoy! These books that we're talking about in this section, romance slash new adult, are books that contain sex and might contain sultry themes, might contain sex scenes, but they're not necessarily like kinky or super explicit. They are more romantic in nature. They are more implicit in nature. um, And they're books that have have sex scenes without having what some might consider explicit sex sex scenes, right? Um, so for instance, we're talking about things like the Outlander series, the Akatar, a Court of Thorns and Roses series, the Throne of Glass series. We're talking about, um, Crescent City, Blood and Ash, Crescent City. Yes. Red, White and Royal Blue, the Bridgerton books, Kingdom of the Wicked, Kingdom of the Cursed, One Last Stop, et cetera, et cetera. So first I'm going to talk about, um, a series that is extremely near and dear to my heart, which is the Outlander series. Um, this is a series that I first got on because I made some random Facebook posts like five years ago asking for book recommendations, and everyone told me that I should read Outlander. So I bought it, I started reading it, and literally and figuratively, it changed my life. So Outlander is a series by Diana Gabaldon. The first book is called Outlander, and this, you know, the rest of the books have varying names. Um And this series is just super important to me. It was actually published in the early 90s, which is different than a lot of the other modern books that we're going to talk about on today's podcast. But it had a big resurgence recently, I partially think, because they had uh, a better PR team that gave it better cover designs. The old designs were very reminiscent of the early romance novel era. And the new cover designs are very minimalist and cute. Um, I'd be interested to see, you know, if if that holds up. But I do think that has something to do with it. Um, it's also now a show on stars. The show is really good, but like any show, the books are always way, way, way better. Um, Cross had mentioned this earlier, I think. And though they start in uh, Outlander, though they start in their 20s, in the later books, they get to their 40s or 50s, which is something kind of unseen in romance novels and something that I think is really wonderful and an awesome reminder to me that, you know, romance doesn't die as soon as you turn 30, right? Yeah, no, I... I totally think that's huge. I was just agreeing. I was saying that, that yeah, that's that representation, I think, is really important to the point on Outlander. This is probably the first series in the romance genre that I had heard of. Um, like growing up, I knew that my mom read it, but I didn't know what it was. Also, can I just very quickly add that Outlander includes the Mackenzie clan and Kelsey McKenney is related to the Mackenzie clan, i.e. you are reading romance and Dirty, spicy scenes about my family members. You are welcome. Enjoy that. Goodbye. 
I'm so thankful for your family and all that your family has contributed to this book because, like I said, it's literally changed my life and I will think of it forever when I read You're this book. You're welcome. Kelsey. You're just like in my little brain. <laughs> but like the writing is literally wonderful. Like Diana Galvedon is an incredible writer, which we'll get into later, but like cannot be said of every romance novel, right? And like the writing isn't for everyone. It's very lush and it's very descriptive. And one of my friends who loves the show struggled to read the Outlander books because she got frustrated that uh, Galbadon would spend, you know, a page or two describing like the intricate details of the curtains and like the hem of someone's dress and the buttons that, you know, went up someone's back and like how the water was sitting in a dish. But I love that kind of shit. And I think it's super beautiful. And I think it's really cool to know as you go along what the main character, Claire, is thinking at every every step of the way, every turn that she gets on, right? Speaking of Claire, she's super badass. Um, you meet her in the first book, just after World War II, where she just got off the front as uh, a nurse. She just got off the front lines as a nurse. The nurse part is important for later. I won't ruin that, but um, it's important for both sexy and practical reasons. Uh, Claire is this like independent, hot-headed, sensual person, and she is not a virgin. And this is so important because in so many books, like virginity is such a trope, right? It's such a big thing. It's such a whatever. But Claire is not a virgin. She's very comfortable in her sexuality. And I think that's really awesome, especially for a book written in the 80s or 90s. Um, This book is super hot because it is just bursting, just rife <laughs> with tension, all this sexy restraint, um, the stuff that I think Kelsey mentioned earlier, right? Like if you grew up in someone, if you grew up in like a highly religious home, like there's something sexy about this, like, you know, this restraint trope, there's all this like really wonderfully written emotional foreplay and real foreplay that just like sinks into your soul and really makes you feel immersed. Um, there's a little bit of a love triangle trope, but it's more of a question of duty than it is of love, right? Claire, the main character, is choosing between this life that she vowed to uh, be in and to sustain and to be a part of and where her heart is taking her, where she knows she belongs, where she feels most comfortable, where she feels most on fire. Um, Diana Galbadon is actually so good at writing sex scenes that she wrote a whole separate book on how to write sex scenes wow. called I Give You My Body, How I Write Sex Scenes by Diana Calvaton. Oh my God. That's so cool. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's incredible. I actually haven't read that book, but um, she wrote a book on how to write sex scenes because she's just so good at it. Yeah. Um, the main interest, the main love interest, Jamie, is just, it's super amazing and so well written if we're talking about, you know, men written for women, right? Um, he's this like tall, sexy redhead man with and looks like her fiance. <laughs> I was going to say, like, as she's getting into this, Lindsay, would you like to talk about Sam here? My fiance is basically Jamie. That's all you need to know. But like, and not to be biased, right? But he's this like tall, sexy redhead man with this like unkempt hair and this unshakable sense of loyalty who basically like wanders around Scotland um, in low-cut linen shirts and who is really good with horses. <laughs> we'll have to link to their engagement photos because, like, it's literally <laughs> Sam. It's just literally Sam. Resemblance and uncanny. It is. You know, like, uh, I'm Jamie feeling is the protective. heat at my center when I think about this. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Me too. <laughs> so Jamie's protective, but not in, like, the, the, like, Edward or, you know, some other ways we've talked about where, like, protective can be controlling he's not controlling right 
Jamie makes mistakes, but then he owns up to them and he apologizes with a genuine apology. Um, and this is going to sound really soft, but like Diana Galbadon and Jamie showed me what I deserve in a relationship. And I love that about Outlander. And I owe like my current happiness to this book. And that sounds dramatic, but it's so, so, so true. No, that's um, so It's not beautiful. dramatic. That's so... Thank you. Yeah. Well, and that, that comes back to, like, why we read these books and why they fucking matter. Because they show us what real beautiful relationships can look like and exactly what Lindsay said, like, what you deserve when it comes to love and care and support. Like, that's fucking yeah. stunning. And I, you have no business making me cry right now. Like, <laughs> shut the fuck Aww. up, Lindsay. <laughs> Lindsay, I don't need to be crying in the book club. You don't have to do this. <laughs> I mean, I was in... Like, very analogous to Claire in Outlander, right? And not to say that I'm Claire, but, like, I was in a really wonderful relationship with a really wonderful man who provided for me and was so kind. And there was nothing, quote-unquote, wrong with the relationship. But I realized, partially through Outlander and through life, that, like, there was this other person who gave me a whole different view on life that I absolutely needed to explore and maybe cross, you should take this out. But like, it just, it just, these books mean so much to me. And um, I love them so much. Um, there's this really wonderful scene where Jamie and Claire have this wonderful night um, right before they consummate their relationship where they spend the night just like talking and joking and eating dinner, which is like a glorified charcuterie board because it's the 1700s. Um, and it's just like really blissful. It reminds me of being in high school or early college where you would meet a new person or it's your old friends, right? And you're just like laying on their floor, talking about life, talking about everything and nothing. And the world feels endless and you feel so lighthearted and you feel so like infinite. Um, and it's just, it's just really lovely. And that's, that's and like right that before moment, they have. in that moment, I swore. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. I was thinking of the same quote. Exactly. 100%. And it just like, oh, it's so like he gives her his body as protection. I don't know. It just like does something to me anyway. And his family, um, including Kelsey. <laughs> can I please try one of these in a Scottish accent? Do it. Like just we should oh, all do yes. around. Take we'll one. Do all around. right. Love it. Even better, his voice was a hot murmur in my ear. When I come to you fierce and wanting and you whimper under me and struggle as though you want to get away. And I know it's only that you're struggling to come closer and I'm fighting the same fight. Jamie's hands. <laughs> I was in no danger. Was and yet I felt the busy drop behind me, the clear and endless night with its star strewn empty sky into which I might go fall and go on falling. A tiny speck blazing hotter and hotter with the friction of my passage, bursting finally into the incandescence of a shooting star. Mary, keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> keep going. Yeah, don't stop. <laughs> We're waiting. Anyway. Yeah, we're all waiting for you, Mary. Oh, one more. more. <laughs> Please, one more. Just keep kidding. going, keep going. Jamie murmured. Far off. He was standing oh now, his hands on my waist. And the moaning noise might have been the wind or me. His fingers brushed my lips. They might have been matches striking flames against my skin. Kate danced over me, belly and breast, neck and face, burning in front pool behind like saint lawrence on his i wrapped my legs around him one heel settled in the cleft of his buttocks the solid strength of hips between my legs my only anchor let go he said in my ear i'll hold you i did let go and leaned back on the air safe 
in his hands. Literally oh my not. god, Mary. Scene. That's so good. That was wow. the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my entire life. That was so good. That was incredible. You need to record, uh, like, please make audiobooks so that I can just sob to whatever. I'm both emotionally moved and extremely horny. And I. Let's <laughs> see. I have a crazy kink, so go on. Yes, you're, you're being such a good girl for us. Thank you. <laughs> Praise King. No, it's just, it's just, it's so good, right? Like, there's, there's time travel, there's subterfuge, there's history, violence, trauma, something for everybody. But a note on trauma, if anyone wants to read it, there is um, assault of more than one person, uh, but it is followed by a very, 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 very raw and real, and I think beautifully written recovery story that has its good days and its bad days and is really artfully done by Diana Gabaldon. And if that's something that you're, if that's something that you're worried about uh, before you read the book, I would just like Google outlander trigger warnings and you're going to be told exactly what they are. And it's, it's nothing that would ruin the story for you going forward. Eddie. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. On Book Talk, I will happily take your drink because I'm going to rec- I'm going to say something about Harry Potter universe. There's a fan fiction called Manacled. Manacled is a 450,000 mm. word AU of um oh um with the red bonnet thing. Yes, H- Handmaid's Tale is that yeah, what you're talking so about? So it's a Handmaid's okay. Tale AU, and the whole thing is that Hermione goes into captive at Draco's and. Draco basically has to trigger warning, like he has to rape her and to basically like force impregnate her so that she can carry on like the magical breed of children. And Book Talk has taken it and Book Talk has suddenly started to recommend it to everybody and everybody, like, oh, if you like, if you like Harry Potter, you're like manacled. And it drives me freaking insane that no one is. Absolutely no one has trigger warning or content warning and said, like, if you've never read fan fiction before or you've never read Germany or anything, that this is your first thing. Like, for me to read Manacle, like, I had to be very, I had to sit down with someone and say, like, I'm going to read this as a non-con as a heavily heavy theme in this. This is going to be really hard for me to read. And so many people on book talk have like completely romanticized it and said like, Oh, well, if you want to read about Draco and Hermione, like you need to read Manacled. And like, there's no anything about how it is. Like if this is your first introduction to fan fiction, or this is your first introduction to like enemies to lovers or Hermione or Harry Potter or anything, this is a very aggressive start. And it's like, there's a, such a difference between how Outlander handles it and Outlander handles it. And I think it's very realistic and like Manacled is also very realistic, but the way that it's treated in pop culture is extremely different. Like Manacled is, we re- we romanticized Draco, the high reef, like we romanticized him and who he is and how he's really screwed up and has all this trauma and has these ruins carved into his back. And oh my God, the, the high reef Draco is so beautiful. And in an outlander, it's like everybody has this really deep, dark trauma. Things are going on. Like, it's really okay. Like you have good days and bad days and it's completely different for me. And I, I think that's, what's so good about, about these, well, about the other kind of stories, right? So like, it's important that you, you put, I'm, I'm curious as to what, what the solution will be at some point for putting content warnings because they kind of exist in the front of fronts of books to genreify things. 
um, at the moment. But I'm wondering when that starts to shift to have kind of warnings for these things, because you both want to have the plot have impact so you don't want to spoil something. But at the same time, you want to make sure that you aren't um, hitting yeah. someone's sore spot, you know, and on in, in those kind of ways. And in fan fiction world, it's very common to see them. You've got right tags, away. right? Like, yep. They're always there in the tags. And it's up mm-hmm. to the reader whether or not they read it. But the way that someone treats it, like if I talk to someone about Manacled or I talk to someone about another one of like the fics that I've read that has non-con in it, like non-consensual like relationships or sex, like I will tell them like, hey, there are these scenes. If this is something that's not comfortable for you, like I'm recommending it to you because I think it is a really strong body of work and I think it's really well written. But if this is not comfortable for you or something that you cannot you do not want to read, that's fine. And I will drop it immediately. And yeah, I think there's right. a difference between that and like book talk and the internet being like, oh my God, Manacle is the best thing I've ever read. Being Everybody in love with something like it. that. Let's yeah. talk about it immediately. Like, right. No, I was just going to say, like, I think it's really frustrating that like people don't understand that things can be well written, but they cannot be for everybody. I, I want to add in my one little pitch here, which is back to Lindsay's point. Part of the reason that I love uh, Greenbone Saga as, as much as I do is because it kind of has similar notes and similar moments. Um, we talk about the clan, and obviously the clan is a Scottish clan here, but it the the like core tenet of the Greenbone Saga is like the clan is my blood, and they're they're separated by like people who are reactive to this magical substance and people who aren't and this kind of love trope of like one being able to use it and the other not and kind of standing up for that lower person inside the society pole and bring them up and it's it's just so good again and she cites diana galbadon fonda lee who wrote that series cites diana galbadon's um outlander as a huge influence to the series and it fits in right here i think in terms of the spectrum of stories so i didn't know that about that Fucking read it. I tell everyone our our discord for our Patreon is going off like eight people are reading it right now and talking about it, which is super cool. That's so So, highly recommend. I would say in like exactly the same way, but also an extremely different way. um, Akatar, A Court of Thorns and Roses, which I know Crossland just started. Just actually just finished the first book. Yeah. Finished the first book falls right into this new adult, um, new adult slash romance bottom line genre um and when we talk about akatar we are not including this is important we are not including a court of silver flames which is in its own category of books later <laughs> on the line uh-huh. um but i want to say if you are someone who wants to read akatar or if you're somebody who hasn't read in a while you should read akatar that being said um the first book is meh on the writing but it's like really fun right The first book is a cut and dry retelling of Beauty and the Beast, which is great. It is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. But the second book, the third book, and there's this like weird novella transition book. And then the next book absolutely stole my heart. Like it went from being like, oh, that was a fun book that I guess was cool to read and recommended by friends to I am forcing everyone I know to read this book series. Including me. in well, her, including Crossland. <laughs> can I can I add too that the first book is a Beauty and the Beast retelling, but it's also a retelling of the Tam Lynn story, which is a Scottish like folk tale about um saving uh the it's it's about a girl saving her love, Tam Space Lynn what? from the Queen of the Fairies. I literally so it's did actually, not know that, Kelsey. Me yeah, either. it's this that's why he's called Tamlin. And it's AKA this really Tampon beautiful book talk. Yeah, fuck fuck yeah, Tamlin. Fuck Tampon. Sorry, ah, cross. I don't want to read no. that. Cut it, cut it. But anyway, yeah, she does <laughs> 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of and and the second book in the series is a Hades and Persephone retelling, technically, also. Oh, it is. Um, Holy shit, you're right. Yeah. So so Sarah J. Moss takes a lot of historical, like classic tales and weaves them in this really beautiful way. So I yes, it is the first book is maybe a little bit meh compared to the next ones. Like the second one, A Court of Mist and Fury, is my favorite mm-hmm. by far. But 100%. there's so many hidden Sounds gems like gems in her writing, which is fucking wonderful but yeah i wanted to note the tamlin story of uh the scottish story. history yes no, like, can, no that's can i can i oh go ahead oh sorry you got it can i add that like if you're struggling if you're like oh i want to get into this avatar thing that everybody's talking about and i really want to get into it because everybody really seems to like it but the first book is like slogging for it did you, i actually fell asleep oh i fell asleep on the audiobook try- that's okay Not do something else happens. while you're doing the audiobook push through like if push through and, like, there are books that I really love that I haven't physically read. Like, there are a lot of books that are just difficult to, like, sit and read with your eyeballs. But you can read them with your ears way easier because somebody else is doing the hard work for you. Yeah. And so for Akatar, while I do really like it and I have read all of those books with my eyes, I also <laughs> have read them with my ears. Well, I think one of the things about Akatar too, is, like, I almost wish Sarah J. Moss would, like, write... Um, an abridged version of the first book that just kind of gives you the history, like a little outline mm-hmm. of the history and then lets you get in the second book. But I think you need to get through the first book to appreciate she the second book. She keeps her own second book. She, yes, one hundred. <laughs> really? Yeah. You honestly need the first book because it gives you the background of like how much she hates her life. Sorry, sorry. I just want to say like Favorite's character development and what she learns mm-hmm. from the experiences of the first book and mm-hmm. how she comes to terms with what she deserves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though it's it's painful to look back at it, I think is more important. I think if we just right. jumped into the like if we leapt into the next part, yeah. like we would lose right. her pain and her trauma and her own growth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she had we had to figure it out with her. We had to. We did. So <clears throat> see 100%. for me as a as a dude. I pitch this as the gunslinger dark tower problem, which is the gunslinger is mostly boring, but the, the, uh, what is it? The drawing of three is incredible. And some people are like, start with the drawing of three. And it's like, no, you fucking need the character development of the gunslinger to understand what's going on. You would not appreciate the second book at all. If you did not, you honestly need the first book development of like realizing I hate just for taste. You need the homebody, like, she mm-hmm. does her thing. She does this. She does that. Like everything is da 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 da. Oh my mm-hmm. god, something's sad because you need to understand. Like you need to get in the position of a character. Like I hate the phrase, but like you need to put your feet in her shoes because you yeah. have to physically be so bored with the book that the minute that the the good thing happens, <laughs> you're like holy shit. Because I felt the exact yeah. same way. Like I remember reading the first book and just like, girl, like come on, let's get to it. And by the time that like. She finally got in the second book and like everything started happening. I was like, oh, thank God. Like, I almost feel so bad for you that like I just want something to happen. No, it's it's super true. Right. Because I think the first book is uh, very stereotypical and it's this very kind of overtold story of love and of a relationship that's like pretty unhealthy and of somebody coming from a hard time and finally accepting this like safe place of love that isn't actually great. But then the second book kind of subverts that, right? It puts it all in its head and it really um, digs in deep. So to, to go back to the first part of what I just said, the first book I think is similar to Outlander because it really plays on the concept, the first and second book rather, 
It really plays in the concept of accepting the love you think you deserve, which I think is a John Green quote, quote right? Yeah. Uh, excuse yeah, me, it it's a Parks of Being a yes, Wallflower quote. Well, right, okay. Right. <laughs> Um, By John, John Green. Green. It, it's then put in John. In, it's then put into John Green stuff. Yes, right? like in later books, Feyre, the main character of Akatar, mentions that she could have fallen in love with anyone who provided her with some sense of security, which is what mm. kind of happens in the first book, right? So here's a quote from the second book: um, "Quote, I'm thinking that I was a lonely, hopeless person, and I might have fallen in love with the first thing that showed me a hint of kindness and safety." And I think we can all, Mood. yeah, like kind of kind of feel that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that like Sarah J. Moss did this really interesting thing where the first book is interesting um, in that the love interest feels a little bit forced and the romance feels very plot-driven and it feels very like aggressively driven by this Beauty and the Beast plotline and timeline that she puts on it. Yep. Um, and it's this like very, very loose enemies to lovers feel, right? There isn't like cute banter like we see in other books. Tampon, Tamlin is just kind of like mean and a little bitch and you're just kind mm. of annoyed with him and you're like, why would she like him? Um, and he's like a little sickly sweet in his insincere way. But then like later in the second book, you get more of that teasing and tension with the love interest. Um, can, get- we, Go ahead. can we just make Crossland plug his ears so we can talk about it This more? is This is fine. I'm very good at dealing with spoilers. No, uh, if you want to no, give me, I would allow instead, it. I don't want to give you that okay, spoiler. Okay, okay. Like, instead, I was gonna say, I was gonna say anything we said that sounded like a spoiler cross should cut from the pod. Here's, here's what I'll do. I'll take off my headphones. You guys can talk. Okay. Signal me to come back. Okay, I'm gonna, well, I'm gonna count on. We're ready. Yeah, I'm gonna well, count wait, on the two of you to okay. What's your plan? In the edit, I'll hand it to PJ for that part. Well, he don't right. care. PJ's not gonna you read it. By time to stop. Cheers. Okay, bye, bye Crossland. Bye. Juicy, what? You know, bye, so. Daddy Crossland. Bye, Daddy. Get your bye, get out of here. <laughs> no, I just was going to say, like, just exactly what Lindsay was saying. Like, we had to experience this, like, boredom and, like, lack of passion and drive to be able to, like, reap the, the benefits of, like, this found family that she has. Not, like, yes, of course, with the inner circle, but with with our High Lord himself. Um, because there. he. He has there you are level of I've like been looking for you. <laughs> there you are. I've been looking Sorry. for you. But like he, I don't know. Like he does. He has that loyalty, but he also has like, unlike Tamlin, has this trust for her in her, um, like in her own agency and her own abilities. Mm-hmm. Like, what well, I think I wrote it down though. It was. It was like. Oh, one second. Here, here it is. Um, and if any of you lay a hand on her, you lose that hand and then you lose your head. And once Feyre is done killing you, then I'll grind your bones to dust. And like, that's how I knew I was like, this bitch is the one for me. Because, like, He's not fucking around. Because Feyre, like her yeah. whole issue with Tamlin was that she felt so cut off and secluded and abrupt to him. And not at all treated as this individual with, with her own like strengths and her own things to offer. Um, and that's why she was cut off when things started to go awry, at least towards the end of the book and even beforehand, that he didn't give her any sense of what was happening before Under the Mountain. Whereas Reese right. treats her as, mm-hmm. as his equal, as she is. Well, and I think like that's a really important aspect of this particular genre, right? Is that empowerment that the female characters get and that sense of 
just sense of power, right? Like mm-hmm. most of the women in these novels come from a sense or come from a place where they feel relatively powerless, even though they're trying their best right. uh, to be powerful, to provide for their families, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. kind of the Katniss stereotype, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But they feel relatively powerless. They're craving security. But I think of a quote from The Love Interest that is just like rife with teasing and with tension and with, in my opinion, just like really sexy vibes. And it says, quote, <clears throat> I would have been gentle with you, though. I shuddered as I closed my eyes. Every inch of my body went taut as his words echoed through me. I would have had you moaning and my name throughout it all. I would have taken a very, very long time, Feyre. Like, it's just like, right? Oh, it's like, hot. it's just like rife with so this, good. like, there is, there is a lot of sex later in the books, right? But like, it's just rife with this like hanging fruit of yeah. intimacy and trust. Yeah. But also mm-hmm. it's like, it's nice to see her think that she's in love with someone and then realize that that's not the person for her. Like, it's refreshing to yes. see her talk to someone yeah. and be like, oh, I think I'm in love with you and be like, wait a minute. I don't think that you're the person for me because that's like a, an entire thing that I absolutely loved is like, it's okay to not love somebody anymore. Yep. Like, it's okay to it's see someone and be like, I relatable. think I love you, and then later yes. be like, okay, actually, I don't think you have my best interest in mind. Right. Yeah, most, most. well, I don't know about most, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say a lot of people love more than once, and that watching a character not just fall into the insta-love, you're the only person, you're the end. Like, those, those are it fun. Like, I enjoy those books. It was but, so nice. Yeah, like, it's nice to witness that trajectory of a relationship and watch it start and grow and bottom out and ruin and then where do you go from there like that that is really relatable and beautiful and oh, oh it's just I so good that it was and, like someone mm-hmm. sticking up for her it was like yep. hey yeah it was like i hate to say it but like it's like when you're in a really shitty relationship and one of your friends was like hey are you sure you're happy or like are you sure yeah. that things are okay or like are you sure this is who you want to spend the rest of your life with and you have that moment in your mind that's like wait a minute like, I had this well, happen with an ex-roommate, and the minute that someone said to me, like, are you guys actually friends? I was like, you know, <laughs> I don't know. And it was like, the moment that someone had called me out on it, it was like, someone had turned the lights on. And that's how I feel about the entire book series. Like, someone turns the lights on. Someone's like, hey, right. he's not for you. And that's okay. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And that's why, like, mm-hmm. I think the second book is so much more tender and real and vulnerable than the first. And I almost think, like, I want to give Sarah J. Moss the credit that like that was intentional, right? Like it has to be intentional contrast because the first just feels so forced and the second and and so on feels uh, so much more natural where the first feels like this is the romance that you were trained to want yep. and the second and so on is the romance that you fucking deserve. It's also wild you know? how many people read it and think that like Tamlin is the one and Tamlin, everyone's right. like, oh my god, Tamlin, I love him, blah, blah, blah. And by the end, they're like, this guy is like, I remember reading it being like, oh, he's cute. And I was like, if this right. is the whole series, I'm out. Like, this guy annoys me. Like, he needs someone to wipe his butt for him. Right. And, like, <laughs> I just remember saying to my friend Miranda, and I was like, I remember texting her and being like, if this is the love interest, like, I can't read anymore. I'm done. She just said, like, keep reading. Right. And I think that's interesting, too, because, like, the mass, like, her her three series that are at least are popular that at least I know of I don't think I know anybody more is Throne of Glass, Akatar, and Crescent City. And if you had been following that since the beginning, you read Throne of Glass first because Matt started writing 
her class when she was very young. And and something we've learned from her is the the first love interest is never her the the mate. Right? Is that Dorian? Is Dorian the first one? Dorian and Chol. Kale. 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 His, Kale? His Kale. But see, I love Kale. I could I think Kale is super sweet. He's kind of a pansy, but he's fine, but like he's adorable. Like he's sweetheart. One of the lovely things about Akatar, Mary and I have talked about this a lot, is that like it really explores friendships beautifully, right? So there's this really beautiful plotline of romance and of like the romance you think you deserve. And then there's all these wonderful friendships. And those friendships are so important. And those friendships are so beautiful. And those friendships are funny and loyal and deep. And they will call you on your bullshit. And I think that that is like a romance genre all of its own. Yes. Are these friendships where you're able to be your true deep self. And in my opinion, Sarah J. Moss does a really excellent job of that in the Akatar series. Yeah. And and I never thought that a book series would ever inspire me to work out until I met the Valkyries. And like not in not in like a not in like a oh I need to like lose weight way, no, but in like but a, like, oh my god, I want to be able to lift a car anytime I want to fucking put a car I above wanna, my head way. Climb yeah. I want to cut a ribbon yeah. with my fucking dagger. And yes. I want to do it. <laughs> I want to be able to rip I a mean, tree out of the ground with my bare hands. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kelsey is like, I right, caught I'm- a ribbon with my hard nipples. <laughs> I mean, that too. Honestly, yes. All I heard Are we was ready hard for nipples. Yes. And I can't hear what you're saying yes. right now, but I just crossing need to clarify. I saw okay, a we, dagger we get pulled, and I heard hard nipples, and I was like, hard whoa, nipples. there's some fighting going on. Okay, well, Lindsay hasn't read Throne of Glass yet, so we're fine, but first thing to mention, Blueprint Brackatar was with Throne of Glass and she started kind of young and like we have these romantic elements and like something we I think a lot of us admire about her characters is like none of them start off virgin they're not these pure people who like enter the world shiny and new like they all had past relationships which have like left them with like their own experiences and then they can like enter these new ones and like use those experiences to like move forward right so um I think it's kind of important to have like not not necessarily important, but like a good thing to put into a story is something like previous relationships, because like I, like virgin trip, whatever, like I totally get it. I'm going to take a drink for that. But like, yeah. you know, people are people like things happen at certain times and we don't need that defined by the story. We can just understand that they're coming with baggage potentially and right. unpack that over the course of a story. Well, and that's literally what thrown a glass. What makes it good is that she has. Like, she has experience, and she's gone through it, and she's already had her, what she thought was the love of her life. Like, the first love, yeah. And, like, no spoilers, like, when she gets to it, she has already been traumatized by the point you get to, like, what, chapter two? Um, just unlike, like, obviously, the the virgin trope was, like, getting really frustrating, I think, with, especially when we had, like, male authors writing about women, and, like, it was so refreshing to, like, go into romance where that wasn't the case. Except for from Blood and Ash, where like the virgin thing actually had a purpose, and it wasn't, it was not like this, where like um, Poppy being a virgin was like she was a virgin with a purpose. Part of the plot. Yeah, can we add? We should add some context quick to what Blood and Ash from Blood and Ash is because that is like my go-to book yes, for right sorry. now. If I don't want to move away from Throne oh, of Glass, right. sorry. Not okay, I'll go back really quick and then we'll move on. Um, so like she starts off with Dorian and. Kale, apparently, is how you say that. Which, yeah. By the way, Sarah Dumas, shout out to you, my boo. Please put in a pronunciation guide at the beginning of the books. Yeah. Before I get to the crime on this, it's just. Feyre oh, is sorry. not clear. I thought it was Rysand. 
because I'm yeah, same. same. Like Reese, ew, 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 ew. but that's just me. Um, so like Kale, Captain of the Guard, like true soldier. He's our cop. He is our like the system is how it's meant to be, and like I am the system, and the system is me. But like he does the same thing that um that a T boy does, where he he feels that he's in love with someone, but wants to change so much of their identity. Um, and then actually, what something that I really admired was that Mass had a male character, Dorian, like call out, like you cannot pick and choose which parts of her to love, which is something that like like T Dog did too with Feyre. So, um, and I just think that's something that's so relatable because we've all had the boyfriends who would ask us to change like in the past versus like the ones that accept us for who we are and like we end up falling in love with for real. So, um, and also just something like a complete aside, like Mass always has like a main character being a bibliophile and like a main character that like reads smut and like has no shame in it. And it's, it's always just like a true like call in to the readers. So I don't know. I love it. I love it too. And also just, we said it earlier, maybe like two hours ago, which won't be the actual time you're listening, but it's been Correct. the time we've recording that Addie would literally open her legs for someone to call her Fireheart, oh, which is one of Aelin's nicknames in Throne of Glass. Oh, baby, that is, oh my God. I have asked my partner to call me that, but it just, you don't I don't want to have to ask. I just want to be called it. No, for real. So it's just not the same. You didn't have to <laughs> ask. Throne, of Throne of Glass has taught me that I have a nickname kink. Oh, yeah, you do. Sure. I have a nickname kink, and that's well, not Well, just even like a the joke. intimacy, too, of like looking at the. It is something that is only for you. It's it's uh, yeah. Logan and Rory and Gilmore Girls. It is yes. something that is exclusive to them, and it is saying, like, it is not like a, it's not even a, I'm not a pet name person, but I think there is something so intimate and so wonderful about like calling someone a name that is just for you. It's personal. It's per, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's personal. And it's like the Fireheart thing is something that like the moment that I realized like he started calling her Fireheart in Throne of Glass or like in later books, I just said like, this is someone that cares because yep. you can immediately yep. say this is someone that has taken the time to know who I am. Yeah, that's 1,000%. It's, he's taking the time to know who she is and then also understand, like, how to talk to her and then, like, what life means to her. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, and I think that's how we knew he was the end game because, like, Mass only will give someone the privilege of being her protagonist's, like, mate if it's truly, like, her bestie, which is something that we all love, too. So, and and then completely different, like, the the the... The constant theme of like the men getting on their knees for the women. Oh, fuck me, so man. hot. I kneel for no one but you. Yeah. Like that is one of my favorite tropes. Like, you're my salvation, it's Sarah. Just... You were human then and you almost brought me to my knees. Like all of these things. And then just a shout out to Tip because like one of the the, the sex scenes between um, Aelin and her and her boothing the first time they bone is in, um, in the ocean on the beach. So Twilight. <laughs> It's a little Twilight. Oh my show. god! Yeah, yes. nice whole scene. Yeah, the way that it is written though is so romantic. Like it is not a they're like dying. They need to get it on. It's like no. they've been through the world. Everything around them is crumbling, and it is the one thing that they can share together. It is kind of in that middle ground, which is wonderful. But anyway, from Blood and Ash is one of my favorite books, which is in the same vein, kind of a Vacatar. I will say, um, so it's written by Jennifer L. I can never say Armin her last Trout? name. Does anyone ever Arm and Armin Trout? Trout? Like I, I can Armin read Trout? it. Armin Trout, but I can't. 
like Mike Ehrmantraut, like Better Call Saul. Is that where we're going? Anyway. I hope so. We're saying it is. But her launch um, of, I think, the third book in the series of From Blood and Ash be, was like number one on Amazon's top sellers, which is amazing when a romance book hits that number one spot. So fucking incredible. But basically From Blood and Ash is like, I think I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about my cocktail, but it's like Twilight, but for adults, kind of. Oh, like yeah. if you love Twilight, you love From Blood and Ash. It's a vampire book that's totally not a vampire book. Mm-hmm. And the things that are amazing about it are... Um, it, it has this like it has romance and smut but our lead character poppy like mary talked about is a virgin but it's with the purpose and and who she is as this character and how she's put into this box is something that she learns to grow out of and it's her growth out of that box that's really mm. interesting and engaging in terms of like who she is like, and what her us. character yeah like learns from and her love interest um hawk like helps kind of helps her in a way that is actually just supportive of her own actions versus her like him leading her out of something like he is just the classic man written by a woman in the sense that he is there to support her and her decisions um we talked about getting on your knees um the love interest castile gets on his knees for poppy which we love always (laughs) um also that's where the honeydew trope comes in um basically uh our our lover boy says that poppy tastes like as sweet as honeydew um yeah she he just loves eating her out and she gets off every single time which we love that they kind always of, like, do it's amazing so oh like and her her enjoyment and her pleasure in sexual interactions is is thought of first and as the most important thing which is so wonderful to read when it comes to sex scenes and intimacy and like in romance it's like oh how she feels matters um and then yeah i think i think one of the biggest things that i love about that series is just that poppy's own power she becomes more powerful than those around her and and the people that love and support her like want to support her being stronger if if that kind of makes sense like it's not this i'm the big strong dude taking care of you it's you're really incredible and i just want to support how incredible you are which i love i will also add that these are really great books to just like speed read jenna jennifer fired her her editor and some of the later books in the series are kind of a hot fucking mess i still love them i'm so curious about the fourth one like i think the third one and like the first i know two, i feel like people people absolutely love the first two and i feel like the first, especially the first one was like a great speed read. Like, oh my gosh, this was a really, really great book. And then when the third one came out, it was during the Panini, like during COVID. Everybody was like home and they were reading it and everyone was like, oh, I don't know where this go is going. Yeah. But if you read it in the context of like, she was trying to get a book out because she suddenly picked up a ton of attention, fired her editor and wants to get this out. Like, it's pretty decent. Like, it's really good. I still enjoy it. Just know what you're getting into. Like, there's a spelling error on the map on the first two pages. Like, Homie should not have fired her editor. But that said, I still really love this book. Yeah. And there's a prequel series that's out, too, that I've yet to read. Um, but it's it's a good one. It's a nice little uh, buckle. She also writes it in a way where it's a cutoff. It's like a cliffhanger every chapter. So you can't put the damn thing down. Mm-hmm. So I just have to stop in the middle of chapters. <laughs> I did that too. I was up till two in the morning one night and I was like, I have a shift at school tomorrow. I should probably cut that right out. 
we were just talking about books that were plot with a little bit of spice added in, but now let's talk about some of those books that are centered around spice with a little bit of plot. We're talking about smut or erotica, or as Crossland likes to call them, pulp smut. Crossland, tell us what pulp smut is. You know, I I wanted to kick this off with a comparison, and it's not necessarily fully accurate, and I just kind of want people's thoughts, but... As I was looking at trends inside of industries and comparing books over time, I noticed that there's pulp smut and then there's also pulp science fiction. And they were given the similar term around the same time, like smut was given its term in pulp science fiction, its own kind of subgenre. Yeah, L. Ron Hubbard, kind of similar authors. However, pulp science fiction really actually died on the vine. It's no longer a popular genre by any stretch. Still, people are writing science fiction novels, fits in other genres, but it is nowhere near the reach that it did in the 70s and 80s, maybe because of speculative TV, other things like that. But pulp smut is still like a huge pulp slash smut. It's still like a huge thing, and it as it kind of should be. I just find that an interesting comparison because it seems like it's almost... There's that interesting time lock that happens around this kind of subgenre, and it feels interesting to me as I thought about it and as we were kind of rolling through doing the the notes and the prep work here. I love it. I love it. No, I think it's I think it's true. Like there was this whole genre of uh, pulp science fiction that was really big and burned really really bright that still has some some lingering embers, and I think there was then pulp smut or pulp romance right. that. Um, has had more of a slow burn over a long period of time. Not that those individual books don't burn bright and hot, because we all know that they do, right? But it's had more of a longevity, whereas I think pulp science fiction died out and is now seeing a little bit of a resurgence, uh, but not in the same way that it did maybe 10 or 20 years ago. Yeah, for sure, for sure. People have verged either a hard side, like we go away from the sort of John Carter on Mars, the he man on Mars with a bunch of aliens around him uh, being kind of a story and no romance whatsoever involved into now we've got like hard science fiction where people want the physics behind things. They want like the hard math, which just totally died out because it's not it's not fun to read about. Meanwhile, romance and the, the sort of pulp romance has kept its trajectory. And it's why it's I think over time, especially as you look at trends, it's number one selling book type genre of all time. So we're here to talk about that. Kelsey. You had some shit to talk about. We're very excited. I'm very excited to talk I mean, about this. I think most, like, first and foremost, we just talked about Akatar, and we said we weren't going to include A Court of Silver Flames. That's because A Court of Silver Flames belongs in this section. Um, and I really want Lindsay and Mary to talk a little bit. I want the two of you to talk about this before I get really deep up in there. And, you know, I'm going to pull it off again for, you know, flag me. Sure. Yeah, before Kelsey gets into the like wild shit. No, A Court of Silver <laughs> Flames is awesome. So I have a really a friend who I care so deeply about who had read all of the Akatar books but had not read A Court of Silver Flames. So she reread all the Akatar books and then she now read A Court of Silver Flames, which is the newer book. Um and I'm so glad that she read it because it's just this like really smutty but beautiful uh book by Sarah J. Moss, where she just gives the people what they wanted, right? The character changes from um, from Feyre, who's the main character in the first 3.5 books, to Nesta, who's one of Feyre's siblings. Um, 
to, to focus on this character who's not afraid of her sexuality, who's very picky uh, about who she gives her body to, and not in a way where she's like, you have to be worthy of my body, but where she's like, no, today I feel like fucking a stranger. Tonight, I don't feel like fucking a stranger. Today, I feel like fucking I, someone I do know. Tonight, I don't feel like fucking someone I know, right? Like, it's it's just really cool and, and powerful. Um, the main character, Nesta, is like super grumpy, which I super relate to. Um, she roasts the love interest of the book the entire time, but that love interest really brings her out of her shell. And I think that that sort of resistance from Nesta um, and that genuine caring from the love interest, Cassian, um, really brings a lot to the vulnerability of the of the very graphic like very explicit sex scenes that happen in these books, especially compared to the other Akatar books. Like this book is a lot more objectively explicit than than the previous novels. Mm-hmm. Don't you think, Mary? Yeah, I do. I just think we all had a collective moment where we like went <gasps> because Nesta um admitted to watching two uh, these very attractive men like training up on, you know, the roof like you do. Just thinking about what it would be like for both of them to be like taking her at the same time. And we were all like, I think one thing that's also really wonderful about Silver Flames, A Court of Silver Flames, is their relationship is very physical. They're like, okay, just sex with no feelings. And then they they move into the direction of like finally admitting how they feel about each other, which is the opposite trajectory of the other you know, relationships in the series, which I thought was really wonderful because it's these two people learning to care about each other in kind of that opposite way, which I enjoy as a reader. Well, even like the best super is like there's this like pining trope with the guy um, and, and Nesta like holds herself back from it because it's that same thing, like not letting yourself experience the love um, that you do deserve, but you think you don't. Mm-hmm. I did find this really excellent quote that I want Crossland to read on the record. Crossland, is there a way that I can share my screen so you can read this for the viewership? Which, like the whole page? Like from the Just top to the bottom? It. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. PJ, I'll have to deal with it. Oh, man. This is a cheating. <laughs> All right. She huffed a wicked laugh. <laughs> do you want to watch me come? Or do you want to taste it? <laughs> taste! He'd beg on the hot coals for one lick of her. She spread her legs wider. Then have at me, Cassian. His name on her lips was his undoing. He gripped her thighs and spread them wide, and then his mouth was on her, licking her from the base to apex in a long, luxurious slide. Mm. She moaned louder than the first time, and he only grabbed her legs again, hooking them over his shoulders as he buried his face against her. There was nothing gentle in it, nothing teasing. Mm. He feasted with with tongue and lips and teeth, and every taste of her made the roaring in his blood like a mighty wave within him. Nesta ground against him, toes tickling like his wings, uh, toes tickling his wings so much he had to pause for a moment to keep from coming at the mere touch. He'd teach her wing play later because he wanted her to touch his wings (laughs) to learn where to stroke while he fucked her so that... He'd come hard enough to see the stars, to learn what places to stroke, even while he wasn't fucking her, (laughs) so he'd come in her hand, her mouth. He slid his tongue into her core, release already building under his skin in his spine. Too soon. He didn't want to go too soon. Oh, thank you. He's about to come from giving oral. Like, that is so hot. So hot, so hot. Like, he is just, like, absolutely adoring every minute. And by he, I mean Cassian, maybe Crossland. We don't know, right? 
but like adoring Ooh. every minute of this oral that he's giving her. And it's just so beautifully written. And I think it's such a wonderful jumping off point from the other Akatar books. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's hysterical. I can't believe you just made me jump in there. Well, just to talk about, I mean, we're now kind of in this smut section, and I think right. it's important. It, I mean, Silver Flames and Akatar as a whole is a beautiful way for you to kind of pace yourself into dirtier books. <laughs> the fun thing about smut is there are varying varying degrees of spiciness. They, we have things that are, I mean, that's hot, but also we still called it her apex instead <laughs> of using actual de- genitalia yeah. phrasing, mm-hmm. which when I read smut, I like to read things that say like pussy and cunt and like you fuck in like his cock. Like I want to hear the, the one words. thing I cannot like, say. I want to know penis. what they are. If it says his penis, yeah, I'm like, penis I'm is weird. <laughs> But anyway, when it comes to when it comes whatever words your the author is using, like there are varying degrees of spiciness when when we read our smut books. So some other examples, we have a touch of darkness. I know Lindsay has read a touch of darkness. This is a Hades and Persephone retelling. I don't know if you know, I fucking love Hades and Persephone retellings. The story is of this dark man of the underworld and our goddess of spring so it's this like light beautiful well not that dark things aren't beautiful but this light springy young youthful like happy bright cheery woman falling in love with this dark man and it's about the fact that there are like nuances to who we are as people but uh touch of darkness is wonderful it is a present day retelling um, with all of the kind of gods and goddesses of greek mythology involved um Lindsay, you you noted some quotes for us to look at. Would you like to do the honors on those? I would love to. Um, Touch of Darkness is super interesting to me because it is this right this this modern this modern retelling of Hades and Persephone. And at first, I was like a little bit resistant to it because I was like, "Oh, this feels forced. It feels too modern." I don't know what it is about me and my reading style, but if it feels too like within the last two decades on either side of where I currently live, I feel like it can't be compelling, but that's not true. I got sucked in super fast. Um, This is a really great book. I think I said this earlier, but I was reading slash listening to this book while I was at a cabin weekend with some friends where Tiff was also there. And I was listening to it while trying to fall asleep in this, uh, you know, bedroom by myself at the cabin. I was like, this is getting pretty spicy, (laughs) right? Like, I hope nobody walks by my bedroom while I'm trying to sleep and listen to this. And like, it was like at the same time, the most erotic and the least erotic thing because I was sitting there laying there being like, fall asleep, fall asleep while like trying not to listen to how just (laughs) super fucking horny this book is, you know? But there's just, it goes between like really okay writing and just really lovely lush writing like Mm -hmm. here's a quote quote but that wasn't the worst part no the worst part was that there was a side of her a side that she never knew existed until tonight that wanted to run back inside find him and demand a lesson in the anatomy of his body or right or from the, it's kind of switches uh, viewpoints, right? So this is still from the main character. The fire he'd ignited under her skin pooled low in her stomach, reminding her of how empty she felt, how desperately she needed to be filled up. Like what? Oh, I. Th- no, we're just uh, yelling. But it, no, go Tiff, and then I'll add my thing. Go, 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 please. This is the book that today I was reading on an airplane, yes. and. I read 70% of it in my hour and 15 minute flight. Yeah. Yes. Like it's a quick read. So 
So here's here's the thing that's also great about A Touch of Darkness. The author, so it's on Kindle Unlimited, so it's super easy to access if you have a Kindle. The author has also written the entire series from Persephone's perspective, and then she has rewritten every book from Hades' perspective. Mm-hmm. It is the exact same book <laughs> with maybe an extra sex scene or two, but it's just like, it's just basically like light porn fodder for you. Like there is so much that you can dive yep. into. It's a quick read. You want to get off. Girlfriend, it is there waiting for you. So the tag in my fanfiction world or just in fanfiction world in general is called porn with no plot. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Basically, yeah. I will say there is surprisingly more plot the further you mm-hmm, get into the I series. Agree. Like I was like, what is this plot doing here? I'm fine with it. But like, that's not what I signed up for. <laughs> I really didn't think that there would be a like in the second book and moving on. Like I was like all right, so, like, now that they're together, like, there's really no enemies to lovers. Like, what's going to happen? And I was really pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think there's more plot in um, A Touch of Darkness than there is in other Hades Persephone's retellings, like Mm -hmm. Neon Gods, which I love with my whole heart. But there is, like, like Neon Gods is, like, a sex book that also has uh, Greek gods as the title characters. And that's, you know, like, pretty much as close as it... Pretty much as close as it gets to, like, having... A plot, you know, and it's like super hot sex club, emo boy, like voyeurism trope. Yeah, voyeurism trope retelling of a lot of these things, but is that a I drink? would say that a touch of darkness has more plots than Yeah, it's definitely plots. a drink more for the trope. That's a drink for everyone, actually. Oh, Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. But what about uh, the sweetest oblivion? Me. Okay. I want to talk about this. So uh I have a I have a few other smut books that I want to recommend. Um one of the first is that mafia books and sweet mafia books. Is are it, no, huge. this is not the one you, t- you texted me about, right? No, no, no. We're going to get to that. It's coming next. But um, Green the Sweetest Oblivion, saga. which is the maid, which is the maid series, is a mafia uh, trilogy. I think there might be four coming. But basically, mafia romances are really huge sector of smuck books because they they give you. It's basically like. It's that intense feeling of being protected, wanted, and desired at all costs. Like, this man would fucking murder for you. Mm-hmm. And it's that... Uh, I, I saw a TikTok recently about how women who like to read uh, mafia romances probably felt very unprotected and unsafe in their childhood, and we just yeah. want someone to, like, protect us at all costs, which, like, fine, whatever. But the Maid series is really... Please don't call me out like that. Right? <laughs> the Maid series has really hot Italian and Russian mobsters who are just, like, slinging guns and repping tattoos and, like, f- fucking you sideways. It's wonderful. But my favorite of all time, like, smut series is called The Wolf the wolf hotel series um it's been published under a couple different titles with a couple different covers so the first one's called tempt me but it was first published as wolf bait there's a lot of different names but this book is fucking phenomenal it is um it follows abby who moves to alaska to work for a hotel which is one of the wolf hotels um she is wah, wah, a virgin um, which no, that sounded so bad the way I just said that. <laughs> yeah, wah, wah. But I, the trope, <laughs> the trope of her drink virginity. Drink for the trope. Drink for the trope. Okay, it follows Abby, who is a virgin. Um, and I know we've talked a lot about how the virgin trope is something we all just drink to the virgin trope. The ger- virgin trope is something that um, can kind of be annoying. And the first book is her basically falling for the owner of this hotel. Um, and you'd think it'd stay in that lane of like that insta love. It's like. Like with fucking Fifty Shades of Grey, it's just her and Christian, Anastasia and Christian, like, and that's the only person, and blah, blah, blah. Boring. Instead, 
in the Wolf Hotel series, we we get to watch Abby learn about her agency, explore her sexuality with other people, um, to become empowered by herself and by this person that she falls in love with. And it and it goes from this like classic like young girl meets hot older guy and loses her virginity to this like beautiful telling of sexual identity. So I'm a huge fan. I'm also really fucking into threesome scenes. That is my yeah. favorite thing to read in Smut. And this book is just so full of them. It's wonderful. You have to think um, with lots of yeah. Go ahead. Chris. All, all that I was saying is, as you're thinking about like someone who's written a, who could write a threesome scene, you think about extroverts and introverts. You think about writers. They're all introverts. How many have that experience? And like, how many are going to be able to? Pre- you know, I, I'm just I'm having this weird like. There's fantasy, and then there's like reality, and I'm wondering. Uh, well, that's that's what comes back to smut. It's yeah. It's like these books are a place for us to explore sexuality in a way that. Sometimes our our kinks, our interests just live in fantasy and mm-hmm. books are a way for us to kind of stay in that space. I mean, I'm going to get into some books that are pretty fucking fucked up and I don't think the <laughs> author is writing from their own experience. Right. I think I their author that. is writing from fantasy and that's okay. <laughs> Popping along when we come to threesomes, one of my other favorite threesome books that has sword crossing in it is Sugar Daddies. It is a um, a book about our two bisexual daddies, Carl and Rick, who are looking for a third. You said R2, um, I thought really... R2-D2, and I got really messed up for a second there. I was like, someone's <laughs> fucking a robot? Like, I'm not... In this... Oh, uh, yes. 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 I'm really R2-D2 glad it wasn't me. I appreciate <laughs> that. I'm sure Tiff has some. I was going to say... You can dual wheel, that's fine. Right? Well, so with Sugar Daddy, sorry, I don't mean to bounce back, but I just really fucking love this book, too. But... Uh, Carl and Rick are looking for a third. They're willing to pay. So they meet our gal. Oh my God. I didn't even write down her name. I didn't even care. Our gal. Um, they meet our gal. Really? What did I say? No, our gal. It's funny because we have a t-shirt coming out that says our gal on it. So oh you're, my God, it's our hysterical. Gal. So you like, nailed it. It's so good. Perfect. Yeah. Good. I'm so glad. I'm so many drinks deep. I'm glad that drunk me is spewing the content you need. Indirectly. Yes. <laughs> but Sugar Daddies is a really beautiful story of a, a triad, a triad couple and if you um it's got a lot of plot in terms of like the relationship and and what they they how they develop in their triad but it's also really fucking nasty and if you love uh double turn <laughs> if you love dp and double penetration scenes this is your book <laughs> so yeah those are some of my um favorite kind of like plot with like erotica and like plot spice with some plot kind of books um one other one that i just want to call it is priceless Mm. it's a um college romance where a guy wants some nasty sex and he's willing to pay for it also and there's a lot of like i'm rubbing money on your body stuff and it's really fucking hot that gets my Um, attorney senses tingling (laughs) i know i need to send you that one Lindsay, because it's so fucking good so good kelsey kelsey do you know what double dipping is is, I mean, which version of double dipping? <laughs> Will you explain? We are talking about like snacks for the big game. So there's people who like dip the chip two ways, and that's double dipping. Then there is double dipping. Like like truffle butter double dipping? <laughs> like both holes. Yeah. Like put it in the ass and then put it in also, the vagina. That's I've not okay. You don't do that. Also, it's, like, also, it's, it's the best term. Meat. 
I need to explain too with sugar daddies, there are two different types of DP. There is one dick in the vagina, one in the ass, and then there's two dicks in the vagina. And this is the two dicks in the vagina one. It's crazy. Oh, love it. Which this is a beautiful transition. Uh, does anyone want to add? I want to before... bring something up real quick because we're we are we are void. We are like fringing on this thing that I wanted to talk about, which is something that has not been mentioned that we haven't talked about. Is now especially when we get into this sort of deep part of this conversation. Horror has a very deep connection with romance because it ends up being kind of the sort of not like an opposite, but like a mirror image. It's what people are afraid of. And so like a lot of early horror was used to convey romantic ideas and things that people were afraid of, like embracing. Uh, I think the, one of the clearest authors of this in like semi contemporary sense is Clyde Barker of whom is one of my favorite authors in the entire world. highly recommend. It's written a ton of different things. Hellraiser is like a giant sexual awakening for people who are into BDSM uh and the great and secret show is is like this riff on uh tolkien and harry potter wherein it's like in order to teleport into another dimension i mentioned this in our very first fucking episode of this show uh of the words and whiskey show and i was talking about intros glad barker wrote my favorite book called thief of always it's this childhood fable peter pan stuff it's great it's a fantastic book for kids to read. And I was like, Clyde Barker super accessible. And then I made this comment that like, he's also written this other story wherein like they stir come and shit together to create a portal to another dimension. <laughs> and all of a sudden I saw like the views drop off in that moment. Like you can see the disconnects and clicks. And I was like, Oh fuck, I fucked up. I'm so uncomfortable. <laughs> it is. Well, in, in the point being is that this belongs somewhere inside of the spectrum. The other reason that Clyde Barker, I think, slots in here very well is he he hits that horror element of kind of monsters, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then on top mm. of that, he tries to bring he himself was a, a gay man of whom was repressed at the time. And so he was unable to kind of really expose sexuality in any way. And so he did it in the way that a lot of people did, mm. which is writing this kind of fantastical fiction to talk about your sexuality. And so. You know, I, I feel like that slots in right here, and I just want to make sure that that's heard. Mm -hmm. No, but that's so real, right? Because yeah. I think I've – I know I have had this, like, mental pushback when I've read uh, books or novels that fall under kind of this this smutty umbrella, right, where I'm like, no, I am a well-read, college-educated, intelligent woman who may or may not be several drinks deep right now. I would never read smut. I would never read literatica. Who mm -hmm. am I? Like – that's not me. If this is a book I'm reading, then that means that it cannot be one of these disparaging genres. And that's so untrue. And I think that goes back to this misogyny or this internalized mm -hmm. misogyny that a lot of us have felt, right? Where it's like, it's okay if a book makes you feel some kind of way. A, that means you're a human being. That means you're a person. And that is awesome. But B, these books are meant to help you explore another side of yourself, whether that side is sexual or emotional or romantic, or even just like your life trajectory that I think, um, other genres don't quite get into as well. So I've loved having the space of these women in this podcast, um, and others to talk about these different genres, because it's really humbling to have somebody say like, no, 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 you do read this genre. And you like this genre and we love that you like this genre and you should keep reading this genre and we're going to cheer you on through that. Um, I just find that really, really wonderful. There's yeah. a great point to what you said, too, about like, I have my college education. I shouldn't like this or like I 
because I because I have my it's master's. lower or lesser. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like because mm-hmm. I have my master's, I shouldn't be reading this. And like that's how I feel a lot of times about Kindle Unlimited. Is like people say that like they don't want to read Kindle Unlimited books because they're not real books, or like they don't want to read things on the internet because they're not real books. And like a publishing date or where they're published makes literally no difference. But also. If you enjoy the plot or you enjoy what's going on in the book or like you find that it's an escape to what you've been dealing with in your real life, who cares? Like, Mm -hmm. I have to admit that I have read some pretty bizarre or like I have gone back and read. I reread Alice in Wonderland during COVID because I just needed to really escape from everything that was happening in the real world and what was happening in the news. And people were like, why are you reading a children's book? Like, it's for kids. And like Alice in Wonderland is actually like an entire deep dive into mental health and like what's going on. But like mm-hmm. the minute that yes. I say that I'm reading something on Kindle Unlimited or like that I'm reading like even the first Zodiac Academy book, people are like, well, it's really, really bad. And I'm like, okay. According to you, but I enjoy it and I'm going to keep enjoying it. Let people like things. I, I think it was Mary's core point. Like, absolutely. Um, cannot agree more. I also I know that we're about to transition into this, but like we're going to talk about some some deep shit that I'm very excited to talk about because I have some deep roots inside of this and loving fantasy and horror. So uh, we're going to talk about like deep smut and monster fucking next. Right, Kelsey? Kelsey, 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 Kelsey. Yeah, I think it's time for me to talk about taking monster dick like hard. Um. Yeah, so when it comes to deep smut, I'm going to talk about monster cock, obviously, but I also want to talk about some like really like taboo romance. Also, what? Lindsay is giggling, so she yeah. needs to drink. Um, but some of the some of the things about these kinds of books is that they have kinks, like kink exploration that goes beyond reality. It's a mm-hmm. way for us to engage and like. Ha- I'm, it's I'm, romantic like, fantasy, really- truly. Yeah, yeah, it's. It's a hundred percent fantasy. Like these things are out of the realm of reality. Um, I also, I also really love that I'm talking very seriously about just like monster fucking. But there is, I mean, I'm gonna giggle about some of the stuff I read. I read some weird shit, which I love. <laughs> but it's also there's validity in that. Like you get to explore things that you that excite you and that are different. And and there's like fun in being shocked sometimes. So so these books aren't always for the faint of heart but if you want to read something a little bit weird or a little out there or outside of the realm of 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 reality like this is the place to be yeah. so i i've lined up some suggestions from kind of like most realistic which is not realistic at all at all to like the furthest from realistic <laughs> um so first and foremost one of the recommendations that i have is a book called credence now this is a this one's a bit of a dark romance um it's also kind of fucked up um, but I love it because it's not real. It's a book. So you get to explore really weird things that are not okay. IRL. Um, it follows our lead, uh, our lead character, Tiernan, who is sent to live with her not blood related uncle and cousins. And, uh, dot, dot, dot. She ends up fucking all three of them. So <laughs> she's stuck in a remote cabin out in the woods. And it's this, actually really interesting story of how she falls in love with one of those three and it's her relationship from her uncle to her cousin to her cousin so a little weird little taboo (laughs) also a lot of really fun nasty sex scenes so it's hot it's like taboo i think if i think for a lot of us who have um a history of like that religious trauma we talked about and shame baked into our our sexuality 
things that lean into kind of shame and things that are mm-hmm. quote unquote shameful can sometimes help us find a way to kind of grow and learn from that experience. If you're if you're looking into something that's so fucking shameful, it's kind of easy to be like, well, I mean, I like it, but I'm not supposed to. And that kind of makes it hot. So that's why I love Credence. Um, Wait, another to clarify book- Credence super quick. Yeah. Tiernan, you said, is the main character, right? So she yeah. goes to live with her not blood-related uncle and her two cousins. Can you give, yep. without like spoiling anything, how does that uh, tension unravel? Like, how do we get from point A, yes. I'm living with my new cousins, to point B, I'm yes. fucking yeah. my new cousins? No, this is so important. I'm so glad. So they are in a very remote cabin, and it's in the winter, and they get snowed in. So they are stuck Classic. for months alone. I'm just the four of them. Basically, yes. And it's like um, misery, they, but she, a group of people. This is the first time. Yeah, this is the first time she's met them. They are extended family, so there's no like grooming or like backward like background relationships. Mm-hmm. Basically, her family dies and she gets shipped off, and they're mm-hmm. stuck in this cabin together. Sure. And so, womp, womp. uh, these guys are not <laughs> great guys, and they want to fuck. So it happens. But is it like <laughs> is it way. consensual? Yes, it's very consensual. She's very much into it. Um, there is a threesome scene <laughs> between oh, her yeah. and her two cousins. Good for you. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, well, it's it's the it's her uncle and her two cousins. I mean, it's fantasy, right? Yeah, <laughs> you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she doesn't know him. It's the first time she's met them, but it's uh, yeah. So it's it's forced proximity and months alone together. Hell yeah. So much so that your uncle starts looking sexy. Oh my um, God. <laughs> another book I want to recommend is Her Soul to Take. Crossland, I think you might like this if you like horror. This is an erotic horror book. Um, basically, it is a forked tongue demon and mm. this, our little emo girl who's a ghost hunter. And they're solving a supernatural mystery because a bunch of like monsters and demons are after her but our 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 fork tongue demon man is like a leather jacket clad like uh, hottie that she accidentally summons from hell and sounds like some clive barker shit like, yeah yes. like sexy demon stalker and a lot of weird kinky shit that happens but it's also like kind of charmingly cute like he's a demon but like he really likes her so yeah. I, <laughs> well and here really like, that reminds me of mr be gone on premise but yeah in the notes here, Kelsey, you wrote, um, enter reverse harems where the girl gets all the guys. Can you elaborate on what that means? So Herschel takes sounds really interesting, <laughs> though, because it reminds me of Mr. Be Gone, which I was referencing by Clyde Barker, uh, which is kind of in its own way the opposite, where it's like this demon is walking on the earth and falls in love with someone who's normal. But in addition to that, the entire thing is first person narrated and he's telling you to burn the book the whole time. He's convincing you to light the thing on fire because he doesn't want to tell his own love story. And it's so good. It's so good. It's That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I will say her soul to take is smut with some plot. So like his is plot with a little bit of smut. So in this <laughs> yeah, case, like this yeah. is- <laughs> right. Uh, I think you'll like it if you're looking for a horror sure. erotica book or, okay. or you know, uh, one of the next little books that I want to recommend. We mentioned reverse harems at the very beginning of this episode, but there's a whole genre of reverse harems that are huge. If you're not familiar with that, a reverse harem... Okay, so basically, have you ever read a book where there's a love triangle and you're like, why the fuck does she have to choose? Why can't she have both of them? Right. Well, that's what reverse harems are. Yeah. It's the girl gets all of the guys. So there are really fun books in which like the harem consists of like the softy the enemies to lovers, the friends to lovers, the like 
BDSM businessman. Like, mm-hmm. all of them are in the book, and it's just, they all love Ooh. her and they want her, and it's fucking wonderful. It's just, you don't even have to choose. You get incredible. it all. All right. <laughs> I know. So, there are varying levels of reverse harems in terms of how spicy they get um, versus how dark they get. Yeah. A really dark one that I'm recommending is called Lords of Pain. Um Oh, one thing I wanted to mention at the top that I didn't mention at the top of this whole section is that it's really important to check trigger warnings when mm-hmm. it comes to like this kind of deep smut and monster yeah, fucking. Like cool. there's there's a lot in here and um if you're not comfortable with stuff, I will say most of the time these kinds of books the authors are do their due diligence when it comes to to content warnings. So um I really appreciate that because I don't ever like being surprised with what's in there. Um so definitely keep that in mind. Um with if, Lords of if you're Pain, looking something that's monster fucking without being deep smut, I would recommend uh, Axioms and and uh, oh god, what is it? Legacy of the Divine by yeah, right. Tiff Tiff's nodding. Lindsay yes. Ellis, Lindsay, Lindsay Ellis. Ellis. Oh my god, Lindsay Ellis. Those are so good. What was it, Tiff? I want to hear what you said, Tiff. I just I was echoing Crossland because Lindsay Ellis is her books are delightful and more alien fucking than monster fucking but there's it is alien fucking but it's close that's why i like wanted to bring it up both of those are on my shelf in the top shelf so you know where i rank them oh i love it Mm -hmm. i love i love axioms and i i love Lindsay ellis like in general i think she's delightful um but those books are really really good good to hear wanted to bring that up here yeah no i'm glad you did that's really important um with lords of pain uh, which is a reverse harem I really enjoyed. It was actually the first series that I read this year. Um, it is a dark bully romance uh, with three guys and one woman. And they're very mean. They're very <laughs> mean. And there's a lot of non, non-con, so like non-consent mm-hmm. um, or dubious consent. Um, and they're, they're not nice boys. But the series pr- basically goes from them being not nice boys to them being like really sweet cinnamon rolls. So... Um, if you like watching a bully go from being an asshole uh, to being really sweet, you get to watch three of them do that in this series. So that's Lords of Pain. So those are kind of some books that I recommend when it comes to kind of like deep smut or like kind of weird. I mean, I'm calling it weird kinky shit, but like I think weird's awesome. So I'm not using weird in a bad way. It's just the stuff that's out there. I mean, but it gets even deeper than that, right? Oh, yeah. Baby, I am so excited. I am so excited to tell you about Ice Planet Barbarians. I am like grinning from fucking ear to ear. In Cross on Your Cocktail was Ice Planet Bar- Barbarians, which I love. The spur of the moment cocktail. Um, The thing that's amazing about Ice Planet Barbarians, uh, well, one, it blew up on TikTok. Right. On um, TikTok. On um, BookTok. Um, and it was so big that like all these books are being republished. Like the author had a like self-published and now her books are like fucking in Target. Like alien fucking is in Target. I what? love that. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. it you're is. Telling me, you're telling me that the like buying team at Target, which yeah. is like primarily composed of like, like almost university graduates, like like Bethel. Sorry, it's uh-huh. not make sense to anybody else. But, like Bethel graduates yeah. is being like, oh, yes, what we should have on the floor of Target is Ice Planet Barbarians. And there was only yes. one copy left in North Carolina Target. Stop, really? Yeah. I went to a small bookstore in Chicago in the West Loop, which is like kind of an urban area. Like I went to like the West Loop and I went to a bookstore and they had a, a table of like popular books right now. And it was like Song of Achilles, Circe, like people we mm-hmm. meet on vacation. Like 
uh, Throne of Glass, Akatar. Like it was like very much book talk, but it was things the expected exactly. Yeah. And on literally the side was Ice Planet Barbarians, and one of my friends picked it up and was like, "Does anybody know what this is?" And I was like, "Oh." No. I was like, do you know anything? And she's like, no. And I said, are there children around? I said, like, I'm not going to tell you what this is with, if there's children in the store. And so I pulled her aside and told her. And we were absolutely shocked that a store has this. You walk in, you take five steps, and there's a table, and it's right there. Yep. <laughs> well, let me tell you what it's about for those yeah, of you listening right. who don't know. Please. Because we all fucking know because this shit went, oh, Amazon bestseller list. Like, it blew up randomly because of book talk. Yeah. But basically, Ice Planet Barbarians follows the story of a group of women, humans, who crash land on this icy planet, um, and they run into a group of very tall, very buff, blue alien men <laughs> who are super sexy, and they happen to have ribbed bodies and ribbed dicks that vibrate, and they have a spur above their dick, so if he fucks her from behind, there's a little backdoor action. Basically, what I'm getting at... Is the whole premise of this book is that these blue aliens exist to please pleasure, support, and take care of these women. So it's it's twenty two books in this series, but follow around along a bunch of different relationships throughout the course of um, their time on this planet. And it's it's this really, I mean, it is monster fucking, but it's also this really beautiful story, this fantasy, this this female gaze fantasy of men who exist just to support these women characters. I love it. The first book does not exactly read that way, but I mean, it does. He only okay. exists to feed her, yeah, to, to lick her off, to make sure that she is safe, to get her to safety. There is a language right, barrier right, that, right. like, I mean, and also yeah. here's the thing: Ruby Dixon isn't here to give you a a a really intense plot and no. lots of different. No, like, that's very, not, like, that's all we're here for, right? No, she's giving you exactly exactly what you want, smut. Uh. Like, it's just straight to the point. Like, it's just straight to the point. And the men are that there's nothing that they do beyond. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a wonderful fantasy to believe. There are ample articles and resources out there talking about how unfairly women are treated in uh, porn or things that are centered to the male gaze. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, things that are centered to the male gaze in that, like, how women are supposed to look, how women are supposed to act. And I think it's important for us to also be critical of that in romance novels, right? Like, I think yeah. it's very stereotypical in romance novels to have the characters be... Oh, sorry, Kelsey, I thought you were running away. That's why I went on this rant. <laughs> no, go! Stay think, on this I rant! Think it, I think it's really important for us to look at uh, romance novels and that a lot of the the protagonists are these, like, ripped, like you know, tight men who have like 4% body fat and are like super strong and super tall and have these chiseled jaws and whatnot, blah, 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 where it's like, no, 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 I would also equally love, like those dudes kind of freak me out because I'm like, you care about the gym too much Mm -hmm. and I don't really care about the gym. And if you care about the gym too much, that's weird. Um, I would rather have this like dad bod, large man who can carry all my boxes from my car and, provide for my family can get the and groceries in a single trip you know get the, the important in a things single trip and like be this this like mass that i can cuddle at night more than i would want this like ripped bodybuilder figure figure and i think there's more space for that in in female-centered romance novels than there maybe is in like male-centered type things um but i wish i do wish there was more of that in the literature right it's the same conversation about the way 
men write women and right. that a lot of men write women in a way that I mean, maybe you said this while I was checking to make sure my house wasn't burning down. <laughs> and it's it's like you can't swing the pendulum too far and that we're trying to overcompensate and that we're we're writing these fantasy stories where we're men aren't men. They're blue aliens who are literally designed to make sure we're OK. Like that's also not reality, but it's how are we categor like how are we characterizing these these people in a way that's approachable and accepting but also, where's the time and space for that? Because uh, a fairy porn, well, I mean, Akatar is more than fairy porn, but like a fae-centered book is still fantasy. So so where can we make sure we're not setting unrealistic standards for men or women, but also escape in a way that's entertaining? I, I love that conversation. I want to sit in it for longer. This is not a joke. If somebody can point me to a romance book that has a man who's built like the new Thor from the new God of War game. I would buy every single copy in existence. I would read it religiously. It would be my new favorite book. That would be the best thing ever. Like, if you don't know what the new Thor from the new God of War game looks like, go look him up. He's so cute. I'm looking you up right now. He's, He's a thick deli- god. He's Let's delightfully thick. He's a thick yeah. god. He looks like a Norse man. Adore him. He said Thor... <laughs> He's also like Thor from God of War. Yeah, Mary has a pulled up on her. Isn't he gorgeous? Like he looks like he could carry me and all of our groceries (laughs) and possibly my car. Like Oh my god, no, he looks like your car would spin out and he'd be like, Don't worry. And then he would just like pick it up and put it back on the road and you would drive home. Like, give me I would love, I would just love that so much. I just want, I want a romance novel that has like that male body figure. One author who is maybe doing that, is starting to do that, is um, Katie Robert, who did write Neon Gods, but she has so many other books that she's written. But she writes a lot of characters that don't, that aren't just like skinny white people. Like she has very diverse casts, um, very diverse backgrounds. She has a lot of queer characters. She writes mm-hmm. a lot about plus size women, which I think is fucking wonderful. And like talking about bodies in a more approachable way. Um, and the same goes for men who are maybe don't look exactly like that Thor, but I love, there are a lot of like smut feminist authors who are, who are making a conscious effort to write about bodies that just aren't the, like the real thin virgin and the beefcake daddy mafia boss. Like, <laughs> It's important to have to like you have to hunt for it, but I think there are authors who are who are making an effort to to diversify the characters they're writing about. You can't tell because it's an audio medium, but I am in fact a plus size woman, and the fact that there are like popular romance novels that are coming out that feature plus size women, and that's not part of their story, is so incredibly delightful. That's that's not something that I've ever seen. Like they're. I can think of one book that I read as a kid that featured a plus size protagonist and in it, like she goes through all of this stuff and she ends up being thinner, but she's still like, she's still like hot thick. So it's okay. But she still is very much described as like, Oh, well her waist gets thinner and her thighs get bigger because she's getting jacked because she's running up and down these stairs all the time. So to like have, a little bit more plus size representation is great. There should be more, but like we're we're going the that right direction. An entire <laughs> this is completely arms with like fans. This is totally off topic. It's like 
fan casts are such an insane part of books and fan fiction and like Akatar is going to be a TV show and everybody wants to fan cast it and everybody wants to have this list of people that they want in the show and like Harry Potter, like Marauders, like Andrew Garfield and Ben Barnes have now gone even more viral because people are fan casting them. And one of the big parts of that is especially like people who fan cast Hermione Granger as a plus size woman. And it is amazing mm. seeing how many people are still or like how many people are incredibly passionate about it. And like, I'm one of those people because never once in any of the book, like do they mention her size or her color or like they talk about her hair being curly and that's it. And it's interesting because it's so nice to see people talk about her, like a plus size woman who deserves the world also. Like that's such a huge point of it is like looking at people and fan casts, especially with Akatar, like, not everybody has to be this, like, size double zero, tiny little skinny person. Addy, I love, I love the point, but you owe us a drink for talking about Harry Potter. I'm so sorry. I think we got you the hardest out of anyone tonight. One of my favorite things that I saw this week was Bryce Quinlan fan art from Crescent City, and she was curvy. She looked, it made perfect sense for like Katie Roberts second book her um like the god of psyche Eros and psyche she's a plus size baddie she's so fucking hot I love her uh one of the more anyway in one of the more recent uh Brian Sanderson books that I've read there's also a plus size baddie that I love and she is she's incredible so that one's a whole other can of worms because it's a male writer well I think, despite not being sexual, Brandon has decent representation, um, especially later. He got a lot better at it. He started very Mormon, mm-hmm. hardcore. I think because he's, I think because he's not sexual, he does a good job at representation. Yes, I don't know this person right. that you're talking about, but I think like <laughs> Brandon Sanderson sexualizes exactly zero percent of his characters, and I think that's what makes all of the characters the representation good. Great, right, right, um, Kelsey. When we had been chatting before this, you had mentioned one more book in this like deep snut, deep snut, deep smut called Morning Glory Milking Farms. Could you elaborate yes. on this book for us? Lindsay, I would be honored because so glad. this book has no business being as fucking good as it is. Awesome. Morning Glory <laughs> Morning Glory Morning Glory Milking Farms is based in a fantastical world where there are lots of different creatures that are not just human. Um, our lead character, Violet, um, gets a new job at a pharmaceutical company where she is milking minotaurs. Uh, minotaurs <laughs> do not... Oh, my God. They don't, they don't have udders. They don't have udders. No, so, so we the know what they're milking. Talking about, we know what they're pulling. What if they did? They are jerking off minotaurs no! to make Viagra. <laughs> wait, so, so, okay, wait. Big pause. Because not even like Morning Glory, like, we're like, we're milking minotaurs. Like, the lady minotaurs have these udders and we're getting milk. It's literally no. like milking farms. Like, yeah. Semen so retrieval? He, yeah. So there are minotaurs <gasps> that get in this like stirrup and then she's on a lower level and oh, they man. like jerk off the minotaurs and collect the semen. What? And the semen is used to make Viagra. My hand is uh, covering yeah. my mouth this So that's her. <laughs> but. 
And one of her best donators, one of the one of the guys who one of the Minotaurs who keeps coming back, basically she develops a relationship with him. They chat every week and they catch feelings. And yeah, she's jerking him off for science, but like shit, he's so hot and the way he like in the name of science. Like, yeah, what if I jerk you he, off like, Mary, for the science. teacher of the group? Right? Well basically, so it starts with this like very hot jerking for science but it ends up being the kind of story where like they fall in love and they care about each other and they support each other and like there's the the one thing i will say about this book is so it's on i read it on kindle and it's wonderful and i just like kind of imagine like a man's head and like maybe like a minotaur-esque body like that's what i saw in my head when i was thinking about this quick question kelsey yes how many wait hold on let me finish this let let me please finish this thought so I'm imagining that kind of like man with body. Well, you get to the last page of the book and you flip the page and there is art oh, by no. like that the <laughs> author. It is a full on fucking like cattle head minotaur oh. that this woman is getting. And it, it, it kind of like, like, I love this story, but I'm like, I don't know how about being sexually attracted to a fucking cow with a giant <laughs> dick like how do i feel about you get to that the end of it and it's like oh, hey remember God. that head cannon you have that worked really well for you what if oh. i change that here's a picture okay, of a cow you're no one else is gonna see this but us but this is the picture that's in the book <laughs> that oh is him God. that is who she's fucking which it's a man cow. Mind, like i said it's a man cow yeah it's like it's a fantasy yes it's a fantasy book, so it's in a world where there are like a bunch of different creatures. It's like normal, so it's, it's okay, right? That's but it's still like it would be less weird if that was your day to day. Content warnings. Content warnings include cock milking, human anatomy, size difference, and a lot of fluid. Yes, so much fluid. <laughs> Can I just ask? Drowning. So if we're talking about size. Are we talking like eight inches? Are we talking? Gatorade size. We're talking a fucking cow's cock, Addy. Like it is huge. It is fucking huge. <laughs> and then having sex for the first time is an ordeal because he's that big. So enjoy. I just watched everyone's eyes get bigger Tiff's when face I said looks that. Really upset. <laughs> yeah, Tiff. Tiff is very upset for a number of reasons. I'm sure. You know, I I overall I don't hate like you know. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Except. I do hate the gratuitous amount that we are saying fluid. <laughs> fluid. Okay. Tiff. That's real? Fluid or seed? Honestly, seed is better at this point because we haven't fluid said it a million moist, times. Moist fluid? Fluid hurts <laughs> me. Addie, we're never going to be moist, friends again if you saying fluid. these words. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ugh, moist slushy up. fluid no fleshy oh, God. slushy's not Cross oh good i was like slushy sounds wrong yeah. <laughs> i hope no cum is slushy that just doesn't feel yeah, right it's cold frozen. and if kind that's of happening like you should go to the doctor yeah that's disgusting that's like you need to go to the hospital that's the ice planet that's the ice planet <laughs> yeah. barbarians mm. yes yeah good call all right, so we've got one we've got one final kind of like thing to talk about. We've we've actually done a, I think a decent job of interweaving it throughout, but Addie, I want to give you your moment here and Tiff to talk about. So, we we've, we've got this final note here that I want to talk about, which is fan fiction. Fan fiction proliferates each of these different levels, right? So, I think it's important to kind of have this kind of chat and talk about the impact of fan fiction in general on the romance genres. I mean, it's the gateway. Like, it's the reason yeah. 
I will say that, like, I started reading, and I think a lot of people did, like, a lot of people started reading fan fiction, and that was the gateway for them into fantasy or romance. Like, I would never have started to read romance without reading fan fiction. And yeah, I know for me, like, fan fiction was the moment where I said, okay, I'm interested in this. Like, I want to read more. And it was the moment where I said, and for me, it was comfortable because I knew the characters. I felt comfortable with the characters. There was enough left to my imagination and left, left enough left to like my own brain that like I trusted the characters. I trusted who they were. So like for me, like all freaking drink, drag on Hermione. Like Hermione is a huge part of who I am. They have been since I was in high school because they are comfort. Like them exploring new things. Like I even ex- like I read a fic and it's one of my favorites to date and it explored something that like I had never like even known before. And it was like wax play and like a lot of like BDSM stuff that like was just very out of my comfort zone and stuff that I never really read about. And thing I've heard about it because it was two characters that I was so solidified and understanding and loving and caring about. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was a fantastic way for me to understand like how it all worked and like what it was. Because if I had to read this and I had to understand new characters and like who they were and what they like, I would have never gotten through it because I would have been like, oh my God, like, does the girl like it? Does the guy hate it? You know what I mean? Like there was so much of it that just felt so much more comfortable because I was like reading my comfort characters experiencing this and people take it and they take it even a step farther. And you think about like the love hypothesis after Fifty Shades, which are Originally, they were fan fictions of comfort characters experiencing something, and they rewrote them, and now they are books. And Love Hypothesis took over the world. It's a, it's like it's Raylo, like it's it's something that people don't even know was Raylo. And the minute that you talk about it, people are like, "Wait, Adam Driver thing is real?" Like everybody's fan casting Adam Driver, like, and it's not a joke. And it's fascinating to me. I know Tiff, you have the same like experiences me i have a very similar one yes i i mine is a little bit different um just with different like fandoms and different couples and stuff but you know i think that fandom for me and fan fiction for me i think that our experiences are similar but a little bit different just due to different fandoms but even like fan fiction has been an interesting way to observe the way that fandoms evolve you know like bringing it back to Twilight, but like the Twilight fandom and fan fiction from Twilight is for the most part, so much different. It dives so deeply into the little tiny glimpses of sarcasm and humor and friendship that the couple that Edward and Bella have in the book that are not really explored super well, (laughs) but You know, there are like these little slivers of Bella being really funny and really independent and rebellious. And that's not something that is as covered in the books as it is in fan fiction. And it's much more fleshed out in there. The love hypothesis, I think, is interesting because in the Star Wars fandom itself, it really splits Mm -hmm. people down the middle. Because if you, there are people who really hate Raylo, who really like the love hypothesis And there are people who really love Raylo, who really hate the love hypothesis. And it's just, it's very interesting because the Star Wars fandom also, though, is like a terrible Ouroboros that eats its own tail. And 
there's there's like a saying about the Star Wars fandom that nobody hates Star Wars like a Star True. Wars fan because it, the fandom is so toxic. It's like a solid bad. six as, as far as series go. Like it's a six out of ten, but everyone loves it and hates it at the same time. Exactly. And like the hate and the love can both be so intense and so like completely uh, dominating of a person's personhood, personality. Um, so when the love hypothesis came out and it was like, starting to become popular in the Star Wars fandom, people were, like, really torn about it. Especially, like, if you look at the cover, knowing that the characters that it's based on, it's like, oh, they changed nothing. <laughs> it's it's so clear that it is, in fact, a Raylo. And I fucking hate Raylo, but I've heard enough things about the book itself that I'm interested in reading the book just from the perspective of I've heard that it's an interesting book and an interesting play on the characters. So even though I hate the character, I'm interested in reading the book. Well, and it's interesting too, because I have found, and like as someone who's heavily interested in the fan fiction world and like, first of all, there's an entire battle about like people think that fan fiction is like for 12 year olds or 14 year olds. And it's like, it's literally just your comfort characters in a different perspective. And like, these are people who a lot of them are actually published authors. And like, a lot of them are in their thirties or forties or in their twenties. And it's like an exploration of like learning to write or having an opportunity to be a creative writer. And especially with love hypothesis, and especially recently, I've noticed that like, when people find out there that it's a fan fiction, they are turned off. Like, they don't want to read it anymore. And, like, they have this whole attitude that, like, oh, it's a fan fiction? Like, it's After. And, like, After after was a fantastic book. When you read it as a Harry Styles fan fiction, like, it was a fantastic piece of literature that made every single girl feel like, oh, my God, this is the Harry that I've dreamed of. And when it became a movie, like most of us and most people were kind of already in the know. So they already kind of knew that whole thing. But if you really think about it, like I cannot explain to you the amount of people that I have said, like, Oh, love hypothesis was a fan fiction before. And people immediately like, Oh, I'm not going to read it anymore. Like fan fiction is for 12 year olds. Like there's a whole, I don't want to call it like an aesthetic, but like a whole judgment that if you read fan fiction, that you're 15 or like that you fan fiction is not cool. And it's like, it's people that you care, that you already know about. It's a realm that you already know about. So there's no world building. Like, you don't need to go through all that. It is something that you're comfortable with. Like, again, I keep on I keep on saying it, but, like, I would not have explored so many topics if I wasn't reading about characters and worlds that I already knew because I was comfortable in every other aspect except for what was happening. And so as a highly anxious person it was like very comforting to know like i know the characters i know the world i know the circumstances i know like the possibilities are happening and so for me it was like okay the circumstance in which this is happening i can control absolutely everything else except for said thing and that's what fan fiction is and it's amazing it's particularly I think that it's particularly interesting too, like the hatred that fan fiction gets because like everything is mm-hmm. fan fiction of something. There's no original idea under the sun. Everything is a spinoff of something. Mm-hmm. Every single thing that you want to read and that you think is interesting is because somebody was inspired like by something else. It's all mimetic, baby. 
We just talked about Akatar yeah. being a Beauty and the Beast and the Scottish folktale Tamlin retelling. Mm-hmm. Like there is Yeah, and then as so it much. keeps going Yeah, and then as it keeps going, it gets into Hades Persephone, which is another thing that we've talked about. Like there is nothing new under the sun. Like even literary great novels that people hold up as like these standards of literature are based on other things that people were like that's interesting. What if I like wrote a story and it was kind of like this, but not like this. And it took some other things from this thing and some other things from this thing. And then we just like mixed it all together. And then I made like a newish thing that now has my name on it. And now I can make money off of it. <laughs> well, what I don't understand it. is right. like, why is a Hades Persephone retelling different than a, any other fandom continuation retelling? Yeah. What is the difference? I think that's exactly like, it. What is the difference between a Hades, like, Persephone retelling and a Draco and Hermione eighth year? Well, I think one of the the differences, um, not between the Hades and Persephone and, you know, Harry Potter thing, but, like, one of the interesting things to consider, right, is, like, specifically millennials and to some extent Gen Z grew up with something like Harry Potter. Um, and we got to see some kind of romance and desire develop from like the fourth through the seventh book but not really you know it was never really super gratifying and we never really got super deep into what those relationships meant or how they felt even between like some of the main characters right um and so one of the things that i think fan fiction really provides for some fans is a way to say no these characters didn't stop existing at age 18 they extended beyond that and they had lives just like we've had lives in the last 10 15 whatever years you know since age 18 and they grew in these profound ways right like if we all took the people we were at graduation whether that's Harry Potter universe um in the midst of the war or post war or whatever or like real life 18 year old graduation time people. Um, Are we all the same people we were then? Absolutely not. And I fucking hope not, right? And so I think one of the cool things fan fiction does is it takes something that's very near and dear to the hearts of a lot of people and takes it and modernizes it and makes it catch up to where you are in your life. So just like you said, Addie, yeah, just like you said, it takes this concept that you already are very familiar with and very comfortable with and very open to it helps you explore where you're at in life or where you could go in life or different avenues of life without subjecting you to having to relearn an entire log of history and world building and characters. And I think that's really special. Yeah. And I will just say this. I will end on this. It's like I, as a human being, have had a really rough time with like stalking as a thing. Like stalking has really freaked me out as a really human being. Like, it is something that keeps me up at night. It's something that has, like, caused major anxiety spirals. I recently read something, and, and like, right now I'm obviously on my Germany kick, and I'm sorry for, like, always relating it back to that, but, like, I recently read something. It's okay, you just got a drink. Yeah, it's Yeah, I'll drink again. I don't care. Um, (laughs) I recently read something, and part of it involves Hermione being stalked. And it was so great for me to read that as a for, as a person who is really anxious about that specific scenario because I knew the character I trusted her I trusted the scenario I trusted everybody around her I knew it was fake and it helped me process it as a reader 
but also helped me process it as a human being because I trusted her and I knew in my heart and I knew who she was and who I am that like, I felt comfortable with this character experiencing this because I've known her and I don't have to understand. Like it wasn't like those books that you read first out of the gate, like they're experiencing non-con in the second chapter. It was like, I know who this person is deep down as a human being or like as a character. And so like when all of this was happening to her, I knew how to relate to her. Your context is already there for the character, which is huge. Exactly. I, like, I think I in these cases with fan fiction. I don't have to be like, oh, does she like this? Like, does she understand this? Like, what's going on? Like, how does she feel about it? It's like, I know that like how she processes and for her to process it, it takes a lot of the anxiety away from me because I'm freaked out less. I'm more like, okay, what's going to happen next? Like I can focus more on the story. Absolutely. I think that's a huge deal. With that, do we have any other thoughts on fan fiction? I mean, I could talk about it all day. Well, I mean, I know. I know there's plenty to talk about here. Okay, I think we've done a fantastic job covering a gamut of topics instead of a very very wide-ranging and I would say often misunderstood uh, category and genre of literature. Again, it's the highest grossing genre, and so I think that the work that we did here is great. I think I'm so glad to have you guys all on the show to to chat about this i want to go through kind of one more time what we're going to do is we're going to do a sign off with our our uh, book boyfriend or girlfriend or whichever way you want to put it and anywhere that people can find you online if you want to make that available and or any other causes that you think are important to support so i'm gonna i'm gonna kick that off to who's ready anyone ready addy you can start yeah so i'm addy my book boyfriend is obviously rowan Rowan Whitethorn, love oh. of my life. Call me Fireheart until I die. Secondary is Draco Malfoy, but that's, I think, part of a phase that I've been going through for a long ass time. <laughs> uh, you can find me on TikTok at Daydreaming Draco, which is just my brand as a person, or on every social platform at Addie Lee Whelan. So A D D I E L E E W H E L A N. And on Spotify, A-D-D-I-E-W-H-E-L-A-N. If you want to support a cause that's really important to me, the Angel Foundation in Minnesota is a cause that supports kids who have parents with cancer. They've done a crap ton for my family, and we donate to them every year. And I think that kids, when you're a kid, like, you just don't know what to do. And they, like, bring ice cream trucks and, and toys and they make sure you're still doing okay while your parent is going through a lot. That's great. I love that. Next up, we have someone who's going to volunteer. It's true. Go, Lindsay. All right. My name is Lindsay Lundeen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at LindsayFundeen. Uh, it's a Twitter, Instagram handle that my now fiance made when we were just friends in high school slash college. So that's a fun one that I've been hanging on to for hot, a while. Hot, hot, yeah. Hot, 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 spicy. Maybe I'll tell you more later. Who knows? Um, my book boyfriend is Jamie from Outlander, a.k.a. my fiance, Sam. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to telling you all more and getting to know you more as we discuss Mistborn coming up in the final episodes on Words and Whiskey. Like, literally, this is coming out on Monday and that episode is coming out on Thursday. So, like, it's going to be yeah, yeah the same Talk week. Talk to you soon. You thought you'd heard the last of me. You haven't. <laughs> I'll be back. Yeah, so that's that's me. Thanks for having us. 
All right. And I'm Kelsey McKenney. My book boyfriend is Castile Denier from the From Blood and Ash series. I am fucking in love with him. Like, I tell my partner every day, why are you not an Atlantean? I'm so angry with you. <laughs> Poor Travis. Um, I don't what actually. My partner is wonderful. Yeah, he's he's actually really great. He's doing his um, best. But you can... <laughs> he really is. He's like, he's it, we're the classic like bisexual girlfriend who reads and gamer boyfriend who plays video games. I will like, say my fiance time. is obsessed with Kelsey's boyfriend. So awesome. <laughs> that. Love it. By that definition, I'm sure we'd be friends. But yes, you probably would. Um, but my the way you can find me is through Catcall, that magazine that I mentioned, the feminist publication. It is catcallmag.com. Meg as in magazine, M-A-G. Um, and then also you can find me Kelsey underscore Isabella on Instagram and Twitter. And the thing that I want to kind of get a little bit loud about is um, bookshop bookshop.org, which is an online booksellers platform that helps small bookshops um, beat out Amazon. So if you are shopping for deal. books, if there is an affiliate that you are passionate about, if there's an organization that has a bookshop, uh, bookstore catcall does but i'm trying to convince crossland to do one for we're totally going to do this for this episode Good. at the very least if not for the whole thing so oh yeah don't sure. don't but let jeff bookshop, bezos win bookshop.org is a great way to buy books support local bookstores and help keep them afloat which is a huge yeah. deal that i'm very passionate about i buy next to nothing from amazon and definitely not books of all things i would rather order and wait we love daddies. Jeff Bezos, not a daddy. Not mm-hmm. a daddy. Thick not like a daddy, but not a daddy, you know? I feel really bad that Kindle is something that I use yeah. through Amazon. But if Audible, I buy physical same. copies, yeah, if I buy physical copies, bookshop.org is the way to go. 100%. Make- yeah, okay. Uh, I'm Tiff. You can find me at phantom underscore misfit on most social medias. I don't have like a real big social media presence. So if you're going to follow some of us from social media, I will not make the cut. And that's which okay. means you should follow. Yeah. Me. <laughs> follow Tiff over everybody else. Uh, please. God, don't. I can't handle that pressure, y'all. Um, yeah, I uh, my book boyfriend, God, is my original book boyfriend is probably Emmett Collins yes. from the Twilight series. Um He's the best. And he's one. also from her hometown. Uh, we did not mention this earlier. He's not from my hometown. He's from my home state, though, which is essentially a town because, because it's very it's small, tiny state. It is. North Dakota's not very big, but he's from uh, North Dakota, and he is a family friend. The guy that plays him in the movies. So, so they're dating. Mm, She's I'm, fully no. married. I was just going to yes. add that I have a I have a friend who works. I have a friend of a friend who has acted in a show with him and got her makeup done next to him and said he was like one of the nicest people oh he's God, ever like she's ever run into in Hollywood. So apparently he's amazing. It's because he's a proper North Dakota That's boy. North him. Dakota. Yeah. North Dakota boy. I have two quick things to shout out kind of going off of Kelsey's don't try not to support Amazon as much as you can. If you're into audiobooks and you're using Audible, I would recommend switching to Libro.fm. They are a uh, audiobook reader that you can pick a small bookstore in your area to support. Right now, I personally am supporting Black Garnet Books, which is a black woman owned bookstore in Minneapolis here. My partner supports Majors and Quinn, which is the largest uh, independent bookseller in Minneapolis. Um, there are usually coupon codes, especially if you're switching from Audible. They'll usually give you at least one credit for free if you enter that you're switching from Audible. So highly recommend doing that and supporting a local bookstore, bookstore in your area specifically. 
And then also just to plug one more time, the uh, Move to Higher Ground. Um, Crossland said that there will be a link in the stuff, but Move to Higher Ground is an organization that is helping the folks of La Push, the Quilu Nation of La Push, to um, move to a more home for them to continue their long history and uh, let their culture continue to flourish. Absolutely. We will definitely have that linked into the show notes. We'll have all of these, uh, not not socials necessarily, but everything else, all the websites and all the links linked inside of the show notes here. So we'll make sure to push all of those properly. I'm Mary. Definitely my book boyfriend just going for a classic, an, an oldie but a goodie, good old resand, just because he has pure daddy energy and we love to see it. So, mm-hmm. um, I don't really do like a big social media following just because of my profession. But if there is a cause you want to support, um, obviously the ones mentioned are fantastic and definitely throw your support that way. But uh, Dolly Parton's Imagination Library helps get kids from birth to age five um, books every month that are just a great way to get kids reading at a young age, which is why we are all here now. So it's true. Yeah. Doing the Lord's work. Dolly, Dolly. Dolly, truly. Yes, ma'am. Please. I agree. Sir, who are you? Replace the South. Who are you? What? Who am I? Yeah, who's your who's your book girlfriend or boyfriend? <sighs> book book. Well, okay, so like it's I can say guy. the easy one. I can say the easy one. It's Vectal from Ice Planet Barbarians. That's Vectal. We love. I ribbed. I think that's um, a hard on for Victra. Victra for sure fits the <laughs> template. Stunted. We're not talking about that right now. Uh, yes, yeah. If we're talking about Red Rising, mm, but <laughs> past that. Um, I'm having a tough time with thinking something that I think other people can directly connect with here. In we don't crack. have to directly connect. Um, the okay. Cross. So, so Victra or Susanna Dean, those are the two I characters um, that I would, I would totally like pin first and foremost. We mentioned a couple of others that are, are fairly close. Wait, so I, was I right that Victra is on the list? Victra, like, no, Victra's so, I'm sorry, sidebar, but like Victra's so cool though. Cause she's, she's very multifaceted and like, right. you never really she's know where brilliant. her head's at. And like, You'd never really get anything from her point of view. You only get it from Darrow or from like a mm-hmm. lot of other people's points of view. And it's like you never you always have this like idealized version of her in her your head. And then she does other shit, which I think is so real in real life. Like you always think you know who Victor is, and then you never know who Victor is. And I think right. that's really fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, which sounds like exactly the kind of person that I've dated in the past. So <laughs> with that, we are going Perfect. to end the episode. Thank you guys so much for coming out and Yay! doing this whole thing. This Yay! is awesome. Woo! Well, success. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Boston. Yeah, without a doubt. Thank you for giving. This is delightful. Thanks for giving me the monster cock platform I needed. Well, <laughs> like back to the feminist issue, like giving the platform Amen. to people to one of the most popular genres that, for some reason, mm-hmm. isn't talked without about. Without a doubt. So. Yay! I am so su- I'm super glad we had a great time. I think all around, mm-hmm. and uh hopefully we'll do something like this again yeah. maybe we'll figure it out that was super fun yes. i love that yes, yes please this is yes. awesome everybody drink thanks water. everyone for being here yeah. everybody, everybody drink, drink water. some water and good luck tomorrow at work yes thank you so much for listening to our show thanks of course to our lovely lady guests kelsey addy mary tiff and Lindsay. be sure to check them out on their own social medias as mentioned previously We've got a lot coming out on our Atomic Pylon network, so keep your ears tuned for more. In our next episode, we have a great conversation with Rob Hart, author of The Warehouse, The Ash McKenna Series, and The Paradox Hotel, of which is 
being released on February 22nd, along with our episode on the same day. Please check it out. Also, take a look at all the links in the show notes. You can find our schedule, Patreon, previous episodes, our websites, and all of our social media accounts all in one convenient spot. Those, if you're not willing to look at that uh, show if you're not willing to look at the show notes, are Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit, Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com for the email, and patreon.com slash words and whiskey. You can follow our short pours channel on your podcat podcatcher of choice. And thank you so much as always for your support. It really means the world to us. See you next week. 